0: Greetings, everyone. My name is Greg Donnelly. I'm one of the pastors here at the Alexandria Covenant Church, and my particular area is Connections and Care, and I work with the 65-year-olds and up. It's a great group of people. I really appreciate the privilege I have in in serving them and serving you. It's great to be here. I hope you've had a wonderful 4th of July yesterday, and just a reminder again what the 4th of July is about, and that is that 244 years ago in 1776, on that July 4th, in the city of Philadelphia, there it was signed one of the great American historic documents, the Declaration of Independence. Now, it marked the birth of the nation. The colonies said, we want to be free. We are a nation. We are declaring our independence from England. And what is forgotten oftentimes is is what uh, the end of it, this uh, declaration said, and how they were becoming free from England, but they were putting their dependence on God. I'm just going to read just the last part of this rather lengthy document. The closing words go something like this. They go exactly like this. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm Reliance on the protection of divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now catch that again. The closing words. They say, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. In other words, we would say, with our dependence on God Almighty, is what they're saying. And so, what I want you to do is just watch this video, just for a moment, just takes about a minute, but let's just watch it together. Now, when a nation is born, it has to have three things to it. First of all, it has to have people. Secondly, it has to have land. And thirdly, it has to have some kind of a constitution or some kind of a written document to put it together. And as they said about having that firm reliance on God Almighty, let's go into what it means about government, about the government. So if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 13, we're going to take verses 1 through 7. We're back in Romans again this week. John did a wonderful job preaching those five messages from Romans chapter 8, but today we're going to look at Romans chapter 13. And before we look at it, let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we just want to bring ourselves before you. We want to understand more about life and how you want it to be lived. And Lord God, as Paul wrote in Romans about government, help us to learn about this. Help us to make the applications that would make us better citizens of this nation. And so, Jesus, we just commit this time, this reading, these verses to you now, and we do this in Jesus' name, amen. So, we'll begin at verse 1 here, chapter 13 of Romans. Everyone, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers Hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you, for he is God's servant to to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. Not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. All right. Point number one is simply this. It was stated three times in verse one, and that is that God has established human government. I've entitled my message, Human Government is of Divine Origin. God established this, He ordained this, He appointed this, He instituted this human government. Now, the Christian's relationship to civil government is is a life and death issue in different parts of the world. But also, at the time of when Paul wrote this, many assumed that because they were citizens of heaven, they didn't have to worry about their earthly citizenship. So Paul wanted to straighten out some of these things that were causing problems. Now, remember, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, He had three things working to work with. First of all, the moral laws. We all know that as the Ten Commandments. That was the moral law. Then there were the ceremonial laws. And that was for the Levitical tribe, the Levites. And so the the Levitical book is written for telling about how to do ceremonial sacrifices, thanks offerings, and all different types of things. And then the third thing was the civil responsibilities. How do you get along with your neighbor? How do you do that? How do you make it living close together? Those are called the civil laws. And so when it talks about the law, you have to define which one. But we're going to talk today about government, which is the civil law. Now, for example, how many of you could build a highway from Alexandria down to Minneapolis? Say about 100 yards or 100 100 miles. How many of us could do that? We don't have the money or means to be able to do that. But when we pay taxes, we, we have money to be able to do things that we could not do by ourselves. We can't generally build schools by ourselves. We generally cannot build bridges, roads, those kind of things. We can't build a postal system. We can't go against uh, invading armies that would come to against us. Come to fight against us. There's things we have to do corporately. Human government is what does it. Now, the word is politica. Politica, which means the affairs of cities. How do they operate together? And If a person goes to college and they want to major in, in this type of stuff, it's called political science. Politics, the political. How do people live together in a civil manner? Now, from Acts chapter 17, verse 26, just listen to this verse. From one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Now, think of that. God determined the age that we would be in. He knew we would be living today in this COVID 19 time. God knows exactly where his people are worldwide the exact places where we should live. No one should get cocky and say, "Well, I'm an American or I'm a Japanese person or I'm you know, my country this, my country that." We need to be the best citizens we can possibly be where we live, but not where we have to where we become cocky and understand that well, you know, my mine is better than yours or I want your land and all the fighting that goes on. That's patriotism is when we understand This is where God has me. I will be the best citizen where I live. And that's what it's about. Now, let me give an example here. Let's just take small town politics. How would you like to live next door to a person that has this for this in their front yard? Just look at this picture for a moment. There's a crane. If you can't see it, there is a crane in the front yard, a a rusty crane. Someone parked, parked in his front yard. Uh, there's a semi-truck there. There's refrigerators there. There's bicycles, lawnmowers, anything that's got metal, people just have thrown it there and he's happy about it. But would you like to try to sell your house living next door to him with that kind of a front yard. No, there's laws against that kind of stuff. Now, I was, the, where this is taken is Spalding, Nebraska. I was, I was on my way to Colorado a couple weeks ago, and I stopped in Spalding. It's only a city of about 500. My great-grandparents are buried there, my grandparents are there, and some great-uncles. So I thought I'd stop in the city, but I couldn't believe this front yard of this man. Now, I don't know what, I talked to a local, and he told me, and he said, uh, the guy said, I'll use this for retirement. I'll sell metal as I need to. He doesn't seem like he needs the retirement money to add yet. But it's it's just amazing how people can do things that can irritate others. What do you do about barking dogs? There's just regulations that have to be set up so that people can cooperate one with another. All right, God has set up human government so that human government would suppress evil and would would uplift what is good. All right, let's go to the second point. So first of all, God has established human government. Secondly, and that is where everyone, all people, are to submit to what God has instituted. Now, just take the first word of the reading from verse 1. It says, everyone, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Now, in a perfect world, we should just simply live by loving one another. You do it because you love your neighbor. You do it because you love and, and, and just... On and on. But that is not what we live in. We do not live in a perfect world. So we have to have the government to help uphold good and to suppress evil. Now, for example, when Paul wrote this, there was an organization, a terrorist organization in Israel, and generally it came out of Galilee. But this terrorist organization were called the Zealots. And one of the disciple disciples was a zealot before he came to Christ and followed Christ. And another disciple of the twelve was the one we know more in a better way and easier way to remember is Matthew or Levi. And he was a tax collector. Now, the zealots and his name was Simon the Zealot or Simon the Canaanite. He's called both. We don't know much about him, but he was a zealot. Now, that zealot terrorist organization they would do this. They would say, "We are not. We are not going to pay taxes to a pagan government. We will not do that." And if people did it, they would go after their Jewish brothers and sisters. They might burn their fields. They might kill the family. I mean, it, it was a real terror organization. So when this Simon joined the group of disciples, to follow Christ. And he came into contact with Levi. It was just such an extreme. But what's so great about the gospel is how he changes people and brings people together. And it's just a wonderful connection to think about that. But here it is. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Everyone. President Trump has to pay taxes. And so he's, he is in Submission to the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS. When, when he goes driving, I'm sure there's times he said, I just got to drive myself. And so if he's driving, he's got to obey the speed limit. He can't go through a residential area going 50 miles an hour. He can't be on the highway going 100 miles an hour because he is to be in submission to the highway patrol and the police. Now, Paul had confidence in the... In the Roman government. Oftentimes he would say, near the end of his life, he would say, I appeal to Caesar. He's making use of a government. I appeal to Caesar. All right, third, let's go to the third point. God's people are to obey the government unless we are told by the government to disobey God. Let me say it again. God's people are to, obey, are to obey the government unless the government says we are to disobey God. Then it's our duty to be in obedience to God. Now, Paul is not writing a political science curriculum here, but he's just talking about the way things are and going back to, let's say, uh, Exodus chapter 1. Pharaoh, in that first chapter, says, okay, these Jewish people, these Hebrews, are, are populating Egypt too much. They're going to be too powerful. So what I want you to do now is talking to the midwives. He says... When a baby girl is born, let her live. But when a baby boy is born, throw him into the river. He gave those instructions to those Hebrew midwives. But what happened was they did not obey him. They obeyed God to let the children, boys and girls, to uh, live. And God rewarded them for their disobedience. Daniel chapter 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's a story about these men. They were supposed to bow down to this 90-foot statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And word traveled that they were not going to do it. And so he called these three young men up and said, listen, you guys, I don't know if you heard this right, but you are going to bow down. The trumpets blow, and when you hear, the, when you hear, the, when you hear that noise, the, the trumpets and all that brass making its noise. You then bow down to my statue. And they said, no, no, we're sorry about this. In all due respect, we, we heard this, but we're, we're just not going to do it. Our God is the God of Israel. He is the God over this universe. And we will only bow to him. And as you know, they were put into the fiery furnace. But they came out. Now, they couldn't even smell a singe of anything, any hairs being singed at all in this fire. God honored them. But before they went and they said, God may not save us, but we still will not bow down to you. And so what they were saying was this, God is able to save us, but God is not obligated to save us. Ch- travel on in the book of uh, Daniel again to chapter 6. Daniel is tossed into the uh, lion's den. Why? Because once again, prayer was only to be directed toward the king at that time as Darius. And, and uh, so he went into the lion's den. God shut the lion's mouth. He was freed. And he, once again, because he disobeyed where he was told to, to obey man, he disobeyed that and obeyed God. And he was honored for that. New Testament. Peter and John, they're called before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, now this is not it's just a bunch of yokos here. This is, this is the Supreme Court of Israel. And these 70 men say, listen, we don't want you talking anymore about this Christ. At this time in this time period, Christ has been risen from the dead. He has been ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come and empowered these men to do tremendous things in the city of Jerusalem. Peter gave that first sermon, Pentecost, 3,000 people came to Christ. A couple chapters later, it says there were 5,000 that now were believers in Christ. And these were just men, not counting women and youth and children. This is just the men. So the city was just going through gangbusters as far as what was taking place with Christ. So the Sanhedrin said, don't you speak about this man anymore. And Peter said to them, listen, you expect me to listen to what you just said and not obey God? You want me to obey you instead of God? He just kind of threw it that way. And then they they, uh, they whipped him and said, okay, you're out of here. And they, the disciples left. They said, what a... Privilege it is to be able to suffer for Jesus. And they kept talking and they obeyed God and not man. Now, let's just put this up a closer to home. Years ago, when I was in the University of Minnesota, I met this girl uh, from Czechoslovakia. And I she definitely did not have English as her as her first language. And we were talking. And I said, well, now, you've only been in the, in the States here about a month. What, is, what are some of the major differences you see between the United States and Czechoslovakia? Now, back in the 70s, Czechoslovakia was part of the, the, the Iron Curtain, they called it. Russia controlled Eastern Europe, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Romania, all those different countries, East, East Germany, all those countries. And in a communist country, you are told there is no God. Well, anyway, I was talking to this girl, I said, what's the biggest difference? She said, she said, it's interesting. I can't believe how many people in the United States believe in God. Now, I wasn't a Christian at that time, and I didn't go talk to her about, I wasn't going to talk about God, that's for sure. But uh, it was very interesting to hear that conversation. Now, let's let's just ask ourselves this question. How many of us have had the government tell us how to raise our kids when it came to god and religious things has any government official ever said to any of you you are not going to tell your children about god and you are not going to have a bible in your home and well oftentimes the authorities would say to the chi- children at school if you see a bible in your in your home just tell us and we'll take care of it and oftentimes you know children being children they would say yeah we have one in our house and Anyway, they'd go over there, and they'd get it out of there. And if the parents put up a big fuss, they might might take it where the parents would go off to prison, and the children would be raised in some kind of a state school, always told there is no such thing as a God. Now, our government isn't doing that. And we have to once again say, okay, we obey the government unless the government says we are not to obey God. All right, let's go to the next point. And that is, when we do not obey the government, we will suffer the consequences. So go to verse 2. It says this. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Okay, now, what Paul is writing about here is he's, he's using it just kind of a, a general example of human government. He's not talking about a communist system. He's not talking about any certain type of, of system. But he's just making these principal applications. If the government is asking you to do something which is not outrageous, which is not against what God would have you to do, we are to obey. Now, right now, we're going through this situation with the COVID-19. And for many of us, it's just a pain in the neck, isn't it? You got to wear a mask. Now, Texas, just I think yesterday, uh, the gover- uh, Governor Greg Abbott said this everyone has to have a mask when they're out in public. Everyone, everyone. And if you don't, you can be fined up to $250. Now, is that reasonable? I would say, yeah, it is. But it's irritating. Who likes to wear a mask? But what happened was in Israel, the Jews, many of the Jews and the zealots, of course, were the ones fighting against the the Romans. It was just guerrilla warfare. Finally, Titus, the general, came in with his armies and invaded Israel and then took over the city of Jerusalem, just slaughtered and slaughtered. If we do not obey the government, we can suffer the consequences. Here's an example I had when I was a younger Christian. I was helping with a youth group. And I got to know this girl, and and uh, she was dating this guy and she got pregnant. And then she said, I just feel because he got me pregnant, I got to marry him now. I have to marry him. I said, no, no, you don't have to. You don't have to marry him. And she insisted, yes, I do. I did it wrong and I should not have done that. So she's just piling on poor choice after poor choice. And they did get married, and then later on they got divorced. Now, in the divorce hearing... Uh, both were going for full custody and she thought, you know, I got that's in my favor. I'm a woman. I'm the mother. Da, da, da. Anyway, he got custody. He got full custody. And what happened was that her parents moved to the West Coast. They sold their business, moved to the West Coast. And sometime after that, when she had a long weekend to take care of the little girl, she disappeared. No one knew where she was. She had the child. And he, about a year later, she called me, and I knew the situation. I was down in Chicago in seminary, but but she called me and she explained. And I said, "Listen, Lori, you can't do that. You can't just say I'm going to keep him. Your husband, your ex husband, got full custody. You didn't like it." And she said, "No, I checked into who the judge was, and he's a drunkard." I said, "He's still." The judge, you have to respect his authority. And I and just I said, you got to turn yourself in. I don't know. She wouldn't tell me where she was at. She would not turn herself in and let it. What had happened was her husband, ex-husband, uh, hired up, hired a uh, private investigator. And finally, she was caught out in Washington, in the state of Washington. And obviously she was had to come back. And I, I told her, I said, Lori, if you get if you turn yourself in, you got a better chance of having more time to spend with your daughter, but you can't do what you're doing right now. But she suffered greatly, greatly. Just the last point here. We obey not just to avoid consequences, but because of conscience. Let me just read these last few verses. Go to verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. As soon as I find it again. Authorities, uh, not only because of passion, uh, because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time for governing. Give everyone everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then pay revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. One time I served on a jury trial. Trial and when we met in the session, we were seated as a jury seated as a jury. And then when the the judge came in, we all stood just to honor someone who has a position of that, honoring. It's the right thing to do. Now, no particular form of government is commended by Paul, but anything is better than the law of the jungle. That's anarchy. If you read the book, book of Judges, the last verse of the last chapter says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That was the darkest period in Israeli history. It was the law of the jungle. And it's okay to try to improve government. It's okay to try to do that. It doesn't mean you're being disobedient. You want to try to improve things. That's healthy. That's good. Run for office. Support those people who are in in the position of, of whatever they do. For example, my dad—I remember—he he, was—he uh, was in the school board for a couple couple terms, and he was the mayor of the, my hometown for a few terms, and then he was the county com, uh, county commissioner. And he would say sometimes, you know, these are really uh, thankless jobs in many ways. You don't know, thank people for what they do, and let's just pull into a couple applications here. First of all, this is the submission is is acknowledging authority. Being obedient to authority. Parents, teach your children to obey authorities. Now, to start with, their first authority is mom and dad, to obey mom and dad. They should obey you. Make sure they are obeying you. And then as they get a little bit older, then it might become the babysitter or the teacher, Sunday school teacher, whatever. Grandparents. Then later on, it's the police. And, you know, we see this thing going on about defunding the police. You know, it's very discouraging for policemen who really have a heart to serve and want to do a great job. This is in no way supporting George uh, Lloyd and in, in, uh, Floyd, who was killed recently. Though That's just horrible. But, pr- you know, when you mix in anarchists and, and Marxists and criminals, and they're burning buildings down, and you have you have people that want to peacefully protest about, about abuse. You know, it's you got to separate that out. You have to separate that out. We need to try to improve, but we have to do it the right way. For example, in our congregation, we have different ones who serve. Brian Cockcock is is uh, a policeman. We need to pray for the policeman, pray for those in authority. Mary Franson is a representative from our church in St. Paul. Pray for these people. Bill Inglebretson. He's a senator from Minnesota. They work in St. Paul. They make decisions. They're politicians because they make decisions about policy. How to use money? Do we build a bridge? Do we build a new highway? Do we remake it some way? Whatever. It's things like that. And here's one more. And this is about individually to have a, a, just a serious walk with God. In a dream, God said to Solomon, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. What does God want us to do in submission to Him? And is there any area as far as the government that you are not in submission that you should be in submission to the government? But ask God where to make the applications and then be obedient to that. So let's bow our heads as we close. Heavenly Father, as we join together to listen to what you you have to say through Paul, about government. Teach us, Lord, to support our government. Lord God, we want to pray for Brian as a policeman here in Alexandria. We pray for Mary and Bill as they serve in St. Paul, making decisions about our state. God, we pray for our governor, our president, people who are in authority over us. May we respect them, even if at times we just Totally disagree with them. May we respect them for their service. And Lord God, may we as a people, God's people, be the best citizens that we can be in our nation. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege it is to live a life for you. Forgive us where we failed you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us. And Lord God, thank you for what you're going to do Help this nation. And may we be a help to this nation ourselves. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.